The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is that time again. Welcome back to Afternoons with Mike here on the Shepherd Radio Network. With me today, Jim Subers. You know, I've known Jim now for a number of weeks, actually probably a couple of months. He's relatively new in a role at Vision Orlando. What I did not know about Jim Subers is he played football for UF. Go Gators. Welcome, Jim Subers. Well, welcome, Mike. It's great to be with you today and to be with another Gator. Yeah, I'm a Gator dad. I didn't attend there personally, but but I put three of my kids through there. So <laughs> I feel like I've got a little bit of an, uh, kind of an investment in that place. I'll say. Yeah. And so it's great to have you here. Again, your role with Vision Orlando, we'll talk about that in a moment. One of the things that we do want to not forget is to the fact that Vision Orlando is sponsoring the Orange County Prayer Breakfast coming up on Thursday. And uh, that's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, my first to get to go to one of those. Yeah, we're real excited. The uh, The opportunity to gather the church, the people of God together, <clears throat> the ecclesia, is really rare. And uh, and actually, it's really critical if, if we think about the fact that uh, Jesus said, by this, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Um, it's important that we're together, that the world sees us together, working together, loving one another well. And, um, and this is an opportunity for leaders from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of churches, all kinds of um, professions to gather together and to pray for our city. And then to ask the question, what can we do together to, uh, to increase uh, the kingdom in our community and to, and to make Central Florida a better place to live? Now, this is going to be Thursday, and it's going to be at the Maitland Sheraton. The Sheraton Orlando North Maitland on Mm -hmm. Destiny Road, yeah. And it's going to be something I know that a lot of people are are excited about. It's almost sold out, right? Yeah, we've only got a few seats left, um, and uh, uh, we're excited about it because we've got got a lot of folks from from, uh, both the political arena and the marketplace, the arts and entertainment industry, the, uh, um, the education industry. We got, we got basically all the seven mountains representative in terms of areas of influence of community influence, people gathering together. And there'll be a number of leaders, different leaders speaking. Alan Lawson, who used to be our recent Florida state Supreme court justice, Mm -hmm. who's now gone into private practice is going to be sharing, uh, Archbishop Wiggins and David Ute will be sharing their story oh, and David praying is such as well. A great guy. Yeah, and uh, and then we have another uh, eight leaders that will be leading in prayer uh, for different areas of of community influence. It it should be a powerful time together. Well, I'm looking forward to being there and uh, excited. You work with a, a friend, George Cope. Yeah, this has been a great privilege for me. Uh, George has is um, both been a a college president and a senior pastor at Calvary in the past. And then for the last nine years has led vision Orlando. And so being able to come come alongside and work with George has been a real, a real blessing. And he's a, he's a real elder in the city. And I uh, agree. Yeah. I've referred to him as that very thing, a, a city father yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. He's done, he's done a yeoman's job of building relationships across streams uh, it's not an easy thing to do. We can tend to get into our silos, and uh, George has intentionally worked to build bridges of relationship across across the community, and it's really important. Well, I've got a ton of questions for you, sure. and I can't wait to get to them all. First of all, I want to find out, how is it that Jim Subers learned to hear about the Lord and gave his life to Jesus? How did that happen? Well, um, I was raised in a in a home... Uh, my dad didn't become a follower of Jesus r- fully until he, until I was in high school, but we grew up going to church. I grew up in a good Presbyterian church down in Miami, and and uh, kind of unusual to get an altar call in a Presbyterian church. But my uh, my Sunday school teacher gave an invitation at the end of Sunday school when I was twelve, 
And I just sensed that I needed to say yes. My heart was stirred that if Jesus is who he says he is, I need to, I need to say yes to him. And, uh, didn't know anything about how to be discipled, but she, she brought a Bible over to me and said, just begin to read this. So I started reading a chapter a day and that's how my, uh, my, at 12 years old, that's how my life in Jesus began. And of course, um, over the years, there's been a lot more intentional development and growth and spiritual growth, but, but, uh, but nothing better than starting with the word of God. And that's I what agree. we did. Now, did you ever have any times in there where you kind of drifted away for a while or has it always been a kind of a progressive walk upward? Oh, I think all of us would say you would, there's times of two steps forward and one step back, but, but I would say the general trajectory has always been upward. And that's onward. great. That's, yeah. What a wonderful thing. Yeah. The things God has protected you from. <laughs> yeah. That's well, and, and that's, that's, I think that's important for all of us to reflect on. You know, there's, we can all look back on times in our life when things happened that, um, that we didn't understand. Right. And, um, I've spent a lot of time, uh, what what I would call Emmanuel journaling, which is a is something I've learned to do in the last few years, where where I spend time asking, you know, spend time in gratitude, and then asking the Lord, what would you like to say to me, and then listening to what He would share, and asking Him questions, and and letting Him respond, and writing it down. And a couple of those have have involved situations of the past that were hard to understand, that felt like failures, or felt like mistakes, or felt like uh, um, uh, situations where I maybe made the wrong choice, the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the Lord on a couple of those times said, Jim, I was protecting you from what you don't even know. I was protecting you from sure that's steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord and, and, uh, he delights in our way. And we have to, we have to trust in the fact that if God is who he says he is, and he does direct our steps, then we can put our lives in his hands and we don't have to understand the why. Um, we're not going to get some of those answers till we get to heaven. Uh, in fact, you mentioned George. George was talking at Ironman uh, a couple weeks ago, and he he talked about Romans eight twenty eight, uh, where uh, the we we quote that all the time that God works all things together for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. He said, but a lot of us stop there and don't go to verse twenty nine. It says, because whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son, meaning that everything that happens to us has purpose in God's hand. doesn't matter whether it was the enemy, whether it was our mistake, or whether it was actually God's direction. No matter what it is, God can take that and, uh, con- and use it for his purposes in our life to do what? To conform us into the image of his son. Yeah. So no matter what we go through, whether it's our fault, whether it's the enemy, whether it's actually God's doing, we can trust him that he's going to work it out for his purposes and that it's going to ultimately conform us into the image of his son is if we'll allow him to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, George has that ability. And I think you'll agree with this. He's, he's kept up with what God is doing in this day, yeah. but he's like this wonderful combination of, of a, of a person who's been around and the experience and he's seen it and he's got that loving grandfatherly uh, aspect about him. Everyone loves him, but then you turn around and he's up on what's going on today and he's just right there. And I, I that's a real feat, I think for people to uh, be, be at the point where we are in our lives at this age and stay up with what God is saying and doing is a difficult time to live right now. Yeah. And I, I would say that there is what I look for in folks that I will listen to, that I will follow, um, that I will consider as mentors. I look for humility as the key virtue. And, uh, George has both humility and teachability still at, I don't know, I think he's almost 70 now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to be like him when I grow up. Yeah, well, I want to still be as teachable and as humble and as hungry for God and his word as George is. I just turned 70, so I, I'm, uh, I'm still <laughs> wanting that myself. So you can pray for me, folks, that that will happen when I grow up. <laughs> That'd be great. That's awesome. Yeah, George is a wonderful guy. Love every chance I have to talk with him. Look forward to seeing him on Thursday and uh, to be at this event. Again, if you've just tuned in, it's going to be the Orange County 
prayer breakfast, and it is going to be Thursday morning, 7 a.m. at the Sheraton North on Maitland in Maitland on um, Lake Destiny, I think you yes. said. And uh, there are still a few, at least at this recording, a few spaces left. Yeah, if they're interested, they can go to visionorlando.org. And uh, the few remaining tickets, you can get them. You can purchase them there. And uh, and we'd love to see them. It's, it's at the uh, Sheraton Orlando North, as you said. A but good meal, a good breakfast will happen for, for sure. And most importantly, prayer and this fellowship. So you started off in the Presbyterian Church and somehow ended up at the University of Florida playing football. <laughs> what happened in between there? Well, I... Uh, in Miami, I went to a Christian high school, Miami Westminster. It's kind of most well known for uh, Alex Rodriguez's school, where he went to high school. It had a great athletic program, and I was able to uh, had a great coach who was a guy by the name of Kim Alsop, who's now with Jesus. But Kim, um, Kim was a real discipler for me. He was also active in our FCA group at, in high school, and uh, he was. He was mentored by Major Ian Thomas, the guy that wrote The Saving Life of Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had been a uh, Marine drill sergeant. So you can imagine the personality of this Mm -hmm. guy. He was was tough as nails, but he he was a man's man and he loved Jesus. He would take me hunting with him and and, uh, we hung out. We had a relationship and he really impacted my life. And uh, and I... uh, I found out I was good at football as a big kid and, and uh, got offered a lot of uh, different scholarships and to different schools and ended up, this is kind of my first adult decision was praying, God, where do you want me to go? And uh, quite honestly, Bobby Bowden was just getting started and he was, he was recruiting me hard and, and I really loved him because the man loved Jesus mm-hmm. and I wanted to go to Florida State, but as I prayed, I felt like the Lord said, no, I want you at Florida. And I You've just made every Gator in the audience happy right there. And that's great. <laughs> well, I had, I had no idea why, but, but obviously I ended up meeting my wife at the University of Florida and, and made my, what I would consider my adult decision to follow Jesus at, uh, while I was there. So even though it was ranked by Playboy as the number one party school in the nation when I went. Yeah, that's but, right, uh, it was. But, you know, it was uh, where sin doth abound, there does grace abound also. And I got a ton of wonderful Christian friends there. That's just a beautiful story. Yeah. And, and to meet your wife there, I mean, that's really pretty cool too. Did you live right on the, uh, I'm sure you're in the student housing right there on the campus? Huh? Well, back in those days, the, uh, they've, they've moved the athletes all over campus now, but back in those days, the, the football players lived in the stadium. We lived in what was called Yon Hall. Oh, I and, did not know that. And, um, and that's where we had our FCA meetings too. And my sophomore year, you'll think this story is funny. I, I had the, uh, I was vice president and, and, uh, we weren't getting that many guys coming to the meetings. And I said, I got a brilliant idea. We need some pretty girls here and that's going to get some guys here. And so I, <laughs> I knew a couple of the cheerleaders and I asked them, I said, Hey, can you bring some of your roommates, sorority sisters to FCA? Um, we need to get some more guys and I know that's going to do it. And, uh, <laughs> sure enough, that, a next, wise man. That, that next Tuesday night <laughs> in walks one of their roommates, who's now my wife. And, ah. uh, and that's, so I, I had no idea I was recruiting. You had no idea. They just <laughs> thought you were doing a good deed. Yeah. And ended up five, five of, uh, those guys ended up marrying, marrying girls that, uh, that came to FCA like that. Who so, was leading the FCA back then? A guy by the name of Charlie Scholaski, who was, uh, he's, he coached with, uh, uh, I think he he's he's done some coaching. He was on the he was on the most recent staff at the University of Florida, and then uh, I don't know where Charlie is now, but but uh, he was a defensive back for us at Florida. Oh, some of the people in FCA Golden Don Malden. Did you ever meet Don? I didn't, but but uh, when I was recruited, uh, Jimmy Kynes uh, was uh, the uh, the. Uh, Road Scholar mm-hmm. that uh, helped recruit me. Bill Carr, who was the athletic director back in the day, was our FCA sponsor, and he had a significant positive influence on my life as well. Having a man that that uh, was unashamed of the gospel and of his faith and being willing to be vocal about it 
in in a position of public leadership like that. We we're in a we're in a position a time in our country where a lot of corporate leaders are kind of ashamed of the gospel. They're afraid to declare their faith yeah, because it's when they bought it's, into this woke thing. Yeah, it's not it's not popular. And so when you when you have uh, uh, leaders who are unashamed of the gospel, uh, it's uh, it's it is uh, inspiring and encouraging. I agree completely. So this FCA connection, it, it's I've loved it. I've been a part for years. Uh, the current guy up in Gainesville is Noah Wilbanks. If you haven't mm-hmm. met him, you'll love this guy. A lot of uh, stuff going on for God up there, and yeah, still awesome. in Gainesville. Yeah. That's, awesome. I had no idea I was going to be talking to a football alum. Now, you attended what years? I was there 77 through 80. Wow. So two years with Dickie and two years with Charlie Pell. <laughs> so and you, and people, you mentioned before we started recording yeah. that uh, the Spurrier was already on the staff, right? Yeah, my sophomore year, Coach Spurrier was our offensive coordinator. So, so, And then my senior year, our offensive coordinator was Mike Shanahan. So we had brilliant offensive minds wow. on our team. It was a, it was a, it was an awesome experience. And I was just up in Gainesville with the Townsend brothers had a had a deal before the spring game where there was about 150 of the old players that that were able to gather together, and I got to see some guys, including Bill Carr, that I hadn't seen in years. So it was it was an awesome reunion. Mm. That's really incredible, Jim. Jim Subers is my guest today. And, you know, this whole thing of finding out that you were a football player, again, I met you probably three or four months back at uh, one of the the chamber meetings, and uh, you're involved in that, as am I. And so is George when he can make it over. But uh, this this whole thing of bringing people together, I mean, this is something you've been doing as I learn about you while you're there at college and actually uh, kind of recruiting people, including your own wife. So that's been a successful, <laughs> you're, you're a gatherer, man. That's what yeah. you do. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm also a lineman. I blow <laughs> holes open too. So, but no, it's, it's, I feel like I've been prepared, uniquely prepared for this. This is, you know, we're at a moment in our culture when we are so divided and, uh, I agree. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of fascinating. Um, you know, Jesus's prayer in the, at the, in the upper room, his high priestly prayer, he cried out to God. He said, "Father, that they may be one, even as we are one." And then, and um, it's a it's the heartbeat of what Jesus wants for us. It's it's fascinating. Guy a guy by the name of, uh, um, well, it's Chinowith at, at Harvard says, 3.5 percent of the population is all that it takes to really transform culture. A committed group of 3.5 percent. Well, you know, Pew says we, the believers, are sixty percent. You and I know that's not true. No, but, it's but not even true. if it, even yeah. if it's half of that that are, you know, because half of that's cultural Christians, people that maybe they never made a commitment to to Jesus, but they are they they generally affirm the values of the Ten Commandments and say that that they're they believe in God. But maybe half, thirty percent of our culture would be true followers of Jesus. That's what I would guess. That's well over a 3.5%. Yeah, more than enough. But, you know, I did a Google search, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. I said, how many denominations are there? 35,000. <laughs> 35,000. We, we oh, are divided yeah. into our own silos. Let's hold that thought yeah. because I'm up against a break. Jim Subers is my guest. We'll be back with Jim in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. 
All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back again now with my guest, Jim Subers. Jim is with Vision Orlando, and they are putting on the Orange County Prayer Breakfast. That is going to happen actually on Thursday morning of this week. And Jim is part of the the chamber. He's uh, obviously a very important part of Orlando and Central Florida. But his his uh, background takes him all the way up to Alachua County into the uh, the swamp back in the day, pre Spurrier. Although Coach Spurrier was uh, part of the staff when you were there, and that's pretty exciting. And so got to work with him, Shanahan, and. And company, and my goodness, Jim, what a what a fun thing that must have been to go back up there recently and be with some of these former players. Yeah, it was wonderful. I got to one of my good friends, Yancey Sutton, got to see him, Jimmy Ray Stevens, one of the coaches that had been a dear friend, and so many other guys. That and there's a big group of uh, uh, former players at the University of Florida live here in Central Florida too. So I'm looking forward to connecting with some of those guys as well now that we're back yeah playing uh playing at that level that had to be something really amazing a lot of fun even back in that day and it's so great and to realize that you ended up uh turning away from fsu and that would have been a (laughs) that would have been a real treat to be under bobby bowden i mean he was a great man of god well i do need to tell a funny story we we uh so a number of years later we had moved back to Florida for several years in the early nineties. And, uh, um, one of my sons was loved art and we went to a restaurant called Chewy's on, uh, on orange or, uh, I think it was on orange or highway 50. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we colonial drive, I guess. Anyway, we, um, um, we're there and the, I have my bowl ring on and the, the server says, Hey, let me see that ring. He looks at the ring and he goes, you played for Florida. So did I. Well, this guy had been a kicker for Florida a number of years after me. Ended up, he was a his name was Casey Jones. He's a wonderful artist. So we got to develop a friendship, and I began to hire Casey to come over and tutor my son in art and uh, so in design and drawing. And and so we developed a friendship. And Bobby Bowden was coming to town to speak at uh, a gathering for men event, and so I took Casey and. Uh, the end of the meeting, Casey says, man, I, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. So, so he gets, oh. so he, he makes a commitment to Jesus after hearing Bobby's speech. So, so we go up to the, go up to speak to Bobby afterwards. Said, Bobby, you may not remember me. You're in my house in Miami back in the seventies, but bottom line is I ended up going to Florida. Casey went to Florida and he just met Jesus today because of you. He said, hot dog. We need to get more of you Gators saved. <laughs> it was it was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness, uh, what a man of God he was. Yeah, uh, Jim, you know, you mentioned something in segment one. I want to circle back around to, and I I couldn't agree more. And I think. That's what part of what the calling of Vision Orlando is. You talked about how we are so divided, and yeah. and the amount of people that that say they're believers, as you so well stated, if even half of that were to exercise that faith and to really do what it what it takes to represent the Lord, we know that's more than enough people in America that say they believe in God. What do you what do you see right now as being uh, the the next step that we as as people who are believers in Jesus what what should we be doing that we're maybe we're not doing that would bring some uh, unity back to this country Well uh great question and I would say that the the real the early church if we look back to why the early church was said to have turned the world upside down i mean that's what's quoted yeah, in the scripture right. they turned the world upside down because of their authentic faith and because of the way they loved the way they loved each other the way they loved uh their neighbors the way they even loved their enemies they turned the world upside down people knew that they, 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 Jesus said it. He said, by this, the world's going to know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. 
And so we've got to first recognize, wait a second, we have got to be intentional about building bridges of relationship with other believers who may not look like me, may not think exactly like me. And I, because that's what's going to take for the world to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the way we love. That's mm-hmm. it. And, and so uh, what has to happen before we get to that place? I don't know. But that's, that's what we're hoping to inspire people at the prayer breakfast. And that's why Bishop, Bishop Wiggins and David Ute are going to be talking about their story of being intentional about building a bridge of relationship together and beginning to ask the question, um, how can we begin to work together for the purpose of building the kingdom in the city? And so our, our commission at the prayer breakfast is going to be at the end of the day, we want everybody to, to leave saying, okay, I'm going to be intentional about building a relational bridge with another believer who may not think like me, may not look like me, but who loves Jesus. Because bottom line is we got so much more in common, our love for Jesus, than we have things that differ us. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, the most important thing about us is our love for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that should be able to pull us together. When you look at the landscape of believers and Orlando has, has been known for having some fairly, I mean, you know, you mentioned David Youth. I mean, that church is a magnificent church. Yeah. First Baptist Orlando, and, and there are some pretty big churches. It, yet Orlando is also known for um, it, its worldliness. We, we've right. got some of the nation's and world's destination right here in our midst. And, right. and so there's a lot that's going on. Do you feel that it's unbelief? That is greatly what has kind of neutered the church in many areas of this country right now. Is it unbelief or is it maybe misplaced priorities? What would you think? Um, that's a great question. For me, I think the uh, scriptures talks about it, right? The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, make it unfruitful. I mean, we've got so many distractions that that um, um, keeping the first thing first is got to be a highest priority for all of us, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and so the the enemy also has got thousands of years of practice in how to keep us distracted and keep us divided. And if we would really believe what Jesus said, that. By this, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another and be intentional about really doing that. Mm-hmm. We could transform the city. I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating. I don't know if you've, if you've done any research on this, but this is not the first time that our culture has looked, it looks a little different, but has, has been in a place where people are thinking we're going down the tubes. Uh, the first Great Awakening was 1734. Did you know that only 5% of the colonists were even in church in 1734 before the, I mean, we were not exactly a bastion of, of faith Mm -hmm. at that time, but we began, there was a Dutch reformer by the name of Theodore Friglenhusen who began to pray fervently for revival. Say that five times quickly. (laughs) In the first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. Yeah. That began. Uh, in fact, Benjamin Franklin became a close friend of George Whitfield during those days, and and who knows the influence that that had. By the time of the Declaration of the Independence, there, there was twenty percent of the signers of the Declaration were true Bible believing believers. A bunch of them were deists; others were deists, but there were twenty percent that really loved Jesus. Following the Revolutionary War, seventeen um, eighties. The cultural conditions in our country had really deteriorated. It was, it was, we were back into where it was bank robberies were common. It mm-hmm. was unsafe for women to go out at night in a lot of cities. And uh, French Revolution was underway. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote to James Madison and said, The church is too far gone to ever be redeemed. This is after the Revolutionary oh my War. Oh, goodness. And a poll taken at Harvard University found that there wasn't a single believer at Harvard. There were only two at Princeton. And those were schools that were originated, founded, they were founded. founded for believers and right. for the, per, uh, the putting forth of the gospel. Exactly. Thomas Paine wrote, in those days, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. This is, oh this is in the 1780s. 
But then in 1784, prayer groups began praying for awakening. More and more churches began to pray. 1792, revival broke out on college campuses. Camp meetings began to spread around the country. Charles Finney began his his preaching. William Carey began his mission movement. And everything turned around again. Then, 1840s, what would have been considered the was the end of the gold rush era, would have been considered the Great Depression if it wasn't for the Great Depression. The country had deteriorated once again. And, and then uh, a group of laymen began to pray on Wednesdays at the Old North Dutch Church in New York City, led by a businessman by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere. Mm-hmm. First day, six people came. Next day, 23. Then they began to meet daily, filling churches and meeting halls throughout the city, spread across the country. One million people were converted in a single year as a result of that. Wow. 1904 was the Fourth Great Awakening. The Welsh Revival began in Wales. You had Azusa Street out mm-hmm. in, out in uh, California. Uh, and ministers in Atlantic City said of the 50,000 people in their city, only 50 were left unconverted. And then once again, we just saw the movie Jesus Revolution, right? Late 60s, early 70s. Another yeah. move of God yeah. happened that began to sweep the nation with young people. So if you look back historically, every 50 to 60 years in our country, there has been a time where, where it's looked distressing, where, like Thomas Paine said, judge no is dead, no yeah. hope. Yeah. And that's what people are feeling right now, feeling hopeless. Uh, but historically, that's incorrect. We've seen God show up and bring an awakening in our midst as people pray. It's all always started with prayer. As people pray and believe God, and uh, and we cry out to Him to begin. You know, the Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they cannot see. People out there who are on the other side of this debate, they're not our enemies. We have a real enemy. The real enemy is the one that's blinding their minds to the truth of mm-hmm. Jesus. And I'm, I'm believing and I'm hopeful that this all can be turned around, but it's got to happen. The church, the ecclesia of God have to come together and begin to love one another well, because that's how the world's going to see Jesus. I agree. You know, you said something in talking about uh, this whole thing about uh, where people's distractions lie and the fact that we're not loving each other the way the Lord would have us to do it. We heard a guy back in the 80s here, and he said something that I'd never really thought of before. He was talking about Central Florida and how we are known around the world for these big amusement parks, the theme parks. We've got Disney, you've got Universal, you've got SeaWorld. And he made this statement, and I I wasn't sure where he was going immediately. He said, there is like a spirit of amusement over Mm. this area. Mm. And he said, let's break that word down for a moment. And I never really made this connection. Mm. Amusement is the word that comes from amuse. Mm. No thinking. And I think, and and he was making the point that one of the traps of the enemy is to get people where they are the lovers of pleasure and fun and freedom from having to discern and think and maybe weigh out, just want to escape. And that could well be one of the gods of this age is this desire to just be entertained. I think there's a lot of truth to that, Mike. The... uh... There's a passage in the Old Testament that says your sister Sodom was judged for four things. And if we were to ask, what was Sodom judged for? Most of us think, well, for gross sexual sin. And and it's actually what it says four things is pride, abundance of food, careless ease, and failing to help the poor. Yeah. And so um, the careless ease piece uh, the entertainment piece mm-hmm. is a huge component to what what uh, keeps people from pursuing Jesus, right? It's, I mean, how many of us go to what I have a friend of mine, Dr. Jim Wilder, who who calls them beeps the uh, the behaviors that that uh, are distractions when when you're uh, stressed, overwhelmed, frustrated. You you know whether it's behaviors, experiences, um, people, substances, there's, there's, there is things that we 
turn to, and one of the big ones is entertainment, Mm -hmm. right? Where somebody just picks up their phone and starts playing a video game or scrolling on social media because we don't know how to quiet anymore. We've forgotten how to quiet. And one of the chief predictors of mental health for a lifetime is our ability to rest and quiet, reflect, meditate. And if you can't do that, then you're going to be full of anxiety. And we're, we're living in a society where the prescriptions of psychotropic drugs have gone up by double in the last 10 mm-hmm. years because people are anxious, they're fearful. We, we've forgotten how. We've got to stay busy all the time. And it's one of the traps of the enemy. One of the, one, one of the companies out in California that, that develops these video games, is I think they're called the Dopamine Group. It's all about getting and people dopamine, addicted, yeah, yeah. getting addicted to, to substances through, through the eye gate. Whether it be not just porn, but also through video games and and, and well, these videos that yeah. show Elias shorts on uh, social media, they they are addicting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've caught myself like, what, wait a minute, I gotta stop watching this. This is crazy. Yeah. I mean, how many you know car wrecks or car chases or thing, and then there are aspects of those that can turn very sensual very yeah. quickly. Yeah. And a lot of these kids today. That's all they know. That's the world they're growing up in. What they're not doing, Jim, they're not reading books. They're not reading uh, good literature. And that, uh, you know, it's like the old story, what happened? This was a true story. Someone handed his little toddler uh, uh, an iPad and they took the the iPad and just, this this, you know, not even a year old yet, was flipping the screens and was, was fascinated discovered that on his own. Yeah. And then he took the iPad away from him and put a book in his hand. Mm. The child picked up the book, started flipping the pages. Nothing happened. Mm. Reached for the iPad again. Mm. Yeah. And there's one of the things you don't know about me is that I ran a residential care center for struggling teenagers for a number of years. And so the issues of this generation of young people being raised on electronic media mm-hmm. has really impacted socialization. Uh, this, the, we've never been more connected, but lonelier. Right. And, and so the, uh, we saw this with the young people that we worked with, how the, uh, the, Addicted to addiction to screen time and media had really hindered their ability to build deep, strong, loving attachment relationships and communicate well. And so, one of the first things we would do when they get in our program is their phones were taken away, their electronic media was taken away, and they had to actually learn to talk to one another and get to know one another. And they probably had to go through a little bit of withdrawal. There was a lot of that. And, but it's interesting, my, we have one of our sons has got autism and uh, we were able to uh, bring, put him in a program called Brain Balance to, to help him with his neurological development. Let's stop on that and let's, I want to listen to the rest of this story on the other side of this break. Jim Subers is here from Vision Orlando. I'll be right back. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Jim Subers from Vision Orlando is my guest today. We've talked about the fact that they're going to be hosting this big event on Thursday morning, 7 a.m. It's the Orange County Prayer Breakfast. And uh, the number, Jim, you had a a website that they can go to? Yeah, visionorlando.org. Visionorlando.org. All right, we ended up the last segment. I want to jump right back to where we were on that, talking about our culture today and how difficult it is you were talking about having to take away the uh, the the screens and the phones and the tablets away from these young people because yeah. they're getting addicted to this and they're not knowing how to relate on human level. Yeah, and there's there is uh, some research now that's out there that talks about how your neurological development is impacted by uh, screen time, and so for for parents of young children, you've got to really limit screen time. 
with your kids. And I know it's easy for a lot of parents to just give them the iPad to keep them distracted, but you recognize that there is actually neurological implications for what you're doing. Wow. And so the, the, uh, you know, we, we found in the residential care program that, that, uh, my wife and I ran for a number of years that, uh, we opened a, a neurological development training center on the, for helping these young people. Cause a lot of behavioral problems go back to neurological issues. And so if you can address the neurological issue, then it'll also address the behavior. We had, we had, uh, the, 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 as I said, I had an autistic, have an autistic son who made phenomenal progress by getting this training. Basically when he was tested, um, as a 18 year old, his, uh, his left brain function was as a seven year old, his right brain function was a 12 year old. And, uh, so he was way behind chronologically where he should have been in terms of development, but also there was a gap between left and right brain. And so when, when you're the two, the two sides of your brain aren't growing and developing at the same pace, the synapse or the connections in neurologically are stunted. But if you can bring one side of the brain up to balance, then the synapse will begin to naturally connect. And, and that can happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, brain science is, a, is a, phenomenal uh, area of study right now. The the advances that are being made by Dr. Alan Shore and so many others is, and also as it relates to spirituality, because God, God's the one that gave us our brains, right? He, he, and he designed us for intimacy with him and others. And if our neurological function is inhibiting our social ability to relate to others and to relate to him, then we, we ought to know how to get that fixed. And the good news is there's a lot of wonderful things out there that are happening now to help people grow neurologically. And we saw this with our son and so many of the teenagers. I had one one little teenage girl that went up three grade levels in three months. Wow. I had another young man who was highly left brain. Everything was literal to him. So how do you understand the unseen God? Uh, how do you how do you how do you grasp that concept if your right brain function, which is um, is, is well stunted. If you're totally left brain and you're thinking, well, as his brain began to come into balance, he had his first spiritual experience, met, met Jesus, became a Christian. And, um, we've seen so much wonderful growth, uh, simply with working on neurological, neurological, uh, development, but it's, it is important for you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, right? We're spirit, soul, mind, and body. And, and, uh, every individual is unique and different. Everyone has their own challenges, but, but, um, uh, I would encourage anybody interested in this kind of material to, to Google, um, Dr. Jim Wilder and life model, which is, uh, he's what I would call a neuro theologian that, um, is, um, has been kind of, I think, cutting edge in some of his teaching and understanding mm. and training that he's doing now, as well as the, the brain balance uh, program as well. I think it's just important, Jim, and I know that you will agree with this, that parents really need to heed this word about limiting the amount of time that the kids spend with a tablet or with a phone in their hand, right? Yeah. Well, you know, clearly we all know that some of the content's bad, right? I mean, that's, uh, it's funny when I was growing up, I had, if you think about the influences in my life, when I was a kid, I had a few families that we were connected to and a few families in the neighborhood. And that was it. Uh, now our children are potentially influenced by thousands of people that the mom and dad would never let darken the door of the house, mm -hmm. but they're coming in mm -hmm. through the screen. That's right. So they're still getting in, right? And so, so, so obviously content concerns is a big piece, but now there's another piece that we need to be concerned about, which is what does the screen time itself, you know, not even concerned about the content, what does the screen time doing to brains? Mm -hmm. And so both of them are, are, uh, it's really important for parents to be, to be, uh, vigilant. Yeah, I agree completely. And God help us all. I mean, parents, they need to be encouraged, but they sometimes can't get off of the starting block, if you will, on this issue because it's so difficult and they're yeah. fighting the 
cultural stigma that says you're just being a fuddy-duddy parent and you're limiting and you're restricting your child when actually what they would be doing is preserving the hope for their kid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I think it's easy for those of us that know about the Christian heritage of America to think we're living in a Christian culture, Mm -hmm. but we're not. Um, you know, the, the reality is we are, we are, um, living in a post-Christian culture with us with, I agree. We were founded by, uh, you know, whether it was at Cape Henry and in the, uh, the dedication of this country to, to the advancement of the gospel or our founding documents. But, but the reality is, you know, I was up at recently at the Florida Capitol project in Tallahassee where Kevin Baird was taking us on a tour. And, and one of the things he said, which was, uh, was very enlightening to me, he said, Jim, you know, we used to debate up here politically under one umbrella. It was the umbrella of, of a biblical worldview where we all held to a Judeo-Christian ethic that there were certain basic human rights, right and wrong, and we debated under that umbrella. And they, there were some very unique or very strong differences even among that umbrella. But now it's completely different. Now there's two umbrellas. You got those who hold to a biblical worldview on one side, and on the other side are those who believe in what we would call a a post Christian worldview or secular humanist worldview, mm-hmm. where there is no absolute truth, and that it's my truth, and it's it's based upon what I feel, and what I feel is my truth, and you cannot tell me what I feel is wrong, and it's there's a there is a it's a 180 degree uh, difference from a biblical worldview because as believers, we're told that we're to submit our desires and what we feel, you know, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, he, he is my Lord, not my flesh, not my desire, not my, I submit that to him and say, Jesus, you're my King. You're my Lord. You know, the gospel was good news and it was good news that there's a new King and he brought a new kingdom and and we are to submit to him. And people died because they were saying they were submitting mm-hmm. to a new king, right? And they, still me again. Right. Yeah. And and that's for us today, it's it's helpful to remember for me. I mean, we were missionaries in Japan for five years. And so it was it when we would wake up every day in Tokyo, we knew we were on mission. Sometimes living in America, you don't wake up saying, I'm on mission, because you're thinking you're in your country, your culture. Yeah. But actually we are on mission. Yeah. We and, are on mission. And many America. people believe that the call to reach Americans right now would be as great a need as what maybe our grandparents thought it would be to take the gospel to Africa. Yeah. You know, we have a, we have this thing right now and I agree with you the post-Christian time is is here. It's among us. And our, our kids on college campuses today are talking and reading and discussing things somewhat differently than they did during your time at Florida. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the same question that I had to wrestle with at college is the same one everybody still has to wrestle with now. And that is basically, is Jesus who he says he is? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's the bottom line question. If he is who he says he is, then it changes everything and it means everything. And to me, if you're listening today and you're blowing off half of what I'm saying, well, that's the one question I want you to consider. Is Jesus who he says he is? Because he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by him. And if he is who he says he is, then it's worth everything to follow him. Mm -hmm. If he's not, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. Right. But I can tell you, I found out that he's who he says he is. Yeah. He's faithful. He's true. He's good. And, uh, and he's worth whatever it costs to serve him. And it's following Jesus will cost you everything, mm-hmm. but it's worth it. You know, great minds have approached God with that very type of a, an aim, if you will, to prove or disprove, if you will, that he's not who he said he was. And those great minds, uh, they, they came around to realize that he is. I think of Josh McDowell. Yeah. He's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's right. had to be one of those three. Right. And he's actually the Lord. <laughs> he's actually the one. Yeah. And that's what this program is all about. We want to talk about things on this show that deal with 
this thing that you mentioned, the Christian worldview, that, that biblical worldview is not what is out there in the news media today. Right. It's not. Yeah. The, uh, there is an assault upon all of our values, right? And, uh, and so it's a time for the people of God, the ecclesia of God, to stand up and let their voice be heard of truth. And, uh, and I am privileged to, uh, to be able to recommend people to come to the Orange County Prayer Breakfast because I think that, that uh, they'll be encouraged that there's hope for Orange County, there's hope for America, and, uh, and that we can see this thing turned around. I agree, and we need to have that hope. And it's going to come back to the very basics. You're, you were so right in stating it the way you did. There are some things that have changed greatly, and there, thankfully, are some things that are the same. Right. And Jesus is still the same today. So that yeah. same question that you wrestled with back in the late 70s is the same question that will be the answer uh, if they take the time to ask that question. Yeah. Is he who he said he was that will really straighten out hearts that are there on that college campus as well as everywhere. Jim Subers from Vision Orlando, we're going to have to have you back. I did not get to near all my questions. I wanted to hear about your Bill Glass connection. So the next time you come, you're going to have to tell us all about that. We've got to have you back up here. Uh, Vision Orlando is supporting and sponsoring this big Orange County prayer breakfast that takes place this coming Thursday, and it's going to be at the Mer- the uh, Maitland Sheraton North at 7 a.m. on Thursday morning, and you can get tickets at visionorlando.org. Jim Subers, thank you for coming and being a part of us. Thank you, Mike. It's been wonderful to be here. And go Gators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. 